0: Uh, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 25,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instructions upon whom the ends of the ages have come therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed unless he falls you see when you read the old testament these are not just old bland stories with a bunch of names that you cannot pronounce the old testament is a living parable all of these things actually truly happened And God was behind all of the happenings, and God was in control of everything that was happening. And there was nothing that happened that caused him to pull his hair and go, oh no, what am I going to do? But when you and I read those stories, what we need to understand is is that they're parables. They're living uh, pictures of spiritual realities. And what Paul is telling us right here in 1 Corinthians is, take these stories that you read in the Old Testament... And apply them to your life because we just like the children of Israel are on a journey we have left Egypt and we are headed to the promised land now most of us in this room have never even been to Egypt maybe one or two of you have but the truth of the matter is is that when a person becomes a believer in Christ it means that the blood of Christ has been shed for them and that they have entered into the house And the Passover angel has passed over and they have been spared. And God has set you free to leave Egypt, the bondage and slavery of the world around you, so that you can head towards the promised land. And each and every one of us in this room are in the middle of a wilderness experience. We are roaming. We are in the wilderness. And we are seeking to to get to the promised land, but it is a struggle. And every one of us in this room, as Paul is saying here, is we struggle with unbelief. We all have doubts. We all have fears. We all have shortcomings. We all have failings. And what we're going to see today as we get into the Old Testament is we're going to read a story about God's people and God's judgment on His people and the results of that judgment. So I hope that as you read this, you will be able to see the beautiful scope of all of Scripture. Because what we've done so far is we've read a psalm. Now we've read the New Testament. And now we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And what we're going to see is all of this applies to us. Every bit of it. Okay? So turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers. And we're going to go to Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture now, just for context. I think he's got four through nine of there. I'm going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read all of it, and then we'll get into the main text. So it says this, When the the Canaanites, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Athram, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If... You will indeed deliver this people into my hands, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of that place was called Hormah. So what happened there? This is one of the first... Um, battles that Israel actually won It was a, a battle that they actually won And what did they do They prayed to God and they said Oh God they've taken our people Our women and our children And drug them off into slavery If you will let us whip these people Then we will uh, devote all that we uh, conquer to you And so what did God do He allowed them to make the, have this victory And one of the things that we need to understand When we pray is God is not a if God we often put conditions on our prayers to God. Oh God, if you will get me out of this mess that then, then I'm in, I promise you I'll be at church next week. I'll even sing in the choir if they ask me to. I'll do whatever it takes. Just if you'll get me out of this. And we, we, our prayers often are conditional. But the reality is we need to understand that God is not a conditional God. He's the God of the Amen. It will be. Amen. And as long as we are praying in His will and according to His will, it will be answered. And so the children of Israel, just like their father Jacob, are struggling. Jacob, in his whole life, he would pray to God and he'd say, Oh God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do this. And if you'll do this, you'll be my God. And at the end of Jacob's story, we realize that Jacob realizes, You were my God all along and it wasn't a matter of my conditions. So they've, they've had this victory. And a lot of times in our lives when we are successful, when, when our bank account's got a little change in it and, and when our uh, love life is going good and when our work and job is, everything's, we're being successful and things are going good. Those are often times in our lives where we fall, we stumble, we get proud, we get uh, uh, boastful, we get, we feel like everything is due to us. And a lot of times in those high moments is the very time that God will step in and bring us to our knees. Why? Because he wants us to look up, not within and not around. He wants us to look up, not in, right? Usually the issue, a pastor friend of mine always used to say this, the issue, issue. So to look within for the answers is the wrong place to look. And I can promise you that everybody around you today has got their struggles, and they're not going to give you the answers either. We're not to look within, we're not to look around, we're to look up. And this is one of the things that this lesson teaches. So let's get into the rest of the the story, the serpent and the wilderness. So they, verse 4, they set out from Mount War by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and we loathe, we loathe, there's that word again, this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we've spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he will remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard and it shall become about that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it, he will live. All right. That's the message today. Look and live. I want will you all repeat that with me? Look and live that's the theme of this story look and live and Moses made a bronze serpent he set it on a standard and it came about that if a serpent bit any man when he looked at the bronze serpent he lived all right so what we're going to do today is we're going to take this story and we're going to break it down and we're going to see how does this story apply to me how does this story not only apply to me but more importantly the most important thing is How does this story glorify God? Amen. So let's look together. The first thing that we see is they have just come from this uh, military victory. And now the people, it said they went around the land of Edom. The people became impatient all the way. Well, first of all, they went around Edom. Any of you that are in our Bible studying on Monday nights will know we're going through the book of Genesis. And Edom is another name for Esau. That's Jacob, or Israel's brother. And God gave Esau a land. Yes. Right? Because he was a physical descendant of Isaac, he was blessed. Yes. And God gave Esau a land, and the name of that land is Edom. And so what's happening? The children of Israel, Jacob's people, just like he's been doing all of his life, are avoiding his big brother. He didn't want to keep the hornet's nest, you see? So they go around the land of Edom. Now remember, where are they going? They have left Egypt. They saw the miraculous deliverance of God, their Redeemer. Who drug them out of 430 years of slavery with the promise that he would take them from Egypt to the promised land. All right. From Egypt to the promised land is about 875 miles. My friend Alex is going to New York this weekend. It's about that far. It would be like walking from Savannah to New York. Okay. Now, that trip by foot, if you went 20 miles a day, which is a hump, it would take you about 40 days. But any of you in this room who have been any part of any Sunday school lessons in your life know that it actually took, instead of 40 days, how long did it take them to get to the promised land? Uh, 40 years. Because instead of going as the bee flies or the crow flies, instead of going the way that God wanted them to go, they got out into the middle of the desert and they became impatient on the way. One of our greatest faults is our impatience. Did you know that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, one of those fruits is what? Peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and all suffering. That second one: peace, then patience. If I have peace, I should be patient. And so these children of God who have seen all of these miracles, watch God destroy the entire army of Egypt have now become impatient. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And how often in our lives are we impatient with God? And what happens when we're impatient? What is impatience a result of? It's a result of unbelief. A doubting of God's promises. God promises to protect you and to keep you and guard you and make his face shine upon you. He promises that to his children. In this instance, it's a conditional promise, isn't it? They have to be faithful. They have to trust him. They have to walk with him. And they are not doing that. They have been become impatient on the way. Look what it says there. The people spoke against God and against Moses. What do it call when we speak against God? Yeah, blasphemy. They're blaspheming God. And they're also blaspheming the intercessor between them and God. What is it, an intercessor? A go-between. The people were scared of God. They were scared of Yahweh. The fear of the Lord is beginning to understand it. That's actually a good thing. But they relied on Moses to be an intercessor, a go-between. You and I don't have Moses to intercede for us today because the law can do nothing but smack you on the head and tell you how bad you are. Moses is not my intercessor now. We have a high priest in Christ Jesus who sits on the throne in heaven and he and his father has sent his Holy Spirit to be our intercessor. Yes. The unpardonable sin is what? Yes. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to reject the intercession, to to reject the reaching out of God to you to say, this is who I am. And these people have become impatient, so they begin to blaspheme God. I want you to look at the question that they asked. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? You see, when things aren't going right for us, we'll blame anybody, except ourselves. God did not bring them out into the wilderness to die. God brought them out of the wilderness because he had already brought them out of slavery. And was taking them to life everlasting. (laughs) But because they were focusing on themselves and their surroundings, they lost sight of the promise. Think about that. Because they were focused on themselves. Now, what do I mean by focused on themselves? This was a sensual people. That's a big fancy word, isn't it? Who, who knows what sensual means? The word sensual means someone who is driven by their their senses. What are your senses? Touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight. That looks good, smells good, tastes good, sounds good, feels good. I like it. They're sensual. The woman saw the tree, that it was desirable to the eyes to make one wise, and she took of the fruit and she ate. Instead of trusting God's promises, she went with what looked good, smelled good, tasted good, sounded good, and felt good. But when we are led by our senses, it will drive us to death. God gave you your smell, your taste, your touch, your hearing, and your sight, and they're all beautiful gifts of God. Believe me, if you start losing your hearing or you start losing your sight, you will know how beautiful of a gift it is. They're good things. But when we do, when we indulge in those things for pleasure, as opposed to loving God and loving others, when we do it just for loving self, it becomes poison. It becomes a destructive thing. These people were sensual. They were looking within. Not only were they looking within, they were looking around. Tired. Tired. There's nothing but sand out here. In Egypt, we had all kinds of good days. Yes. We had food. We had all kinds of good stuff. I want to warn each and every one of you, if you're in this room today, and you truly are a born-again, blood child of God, God has rescued from the rescued you from the slavery of sin it's not that you don't sin anymore we still all sin but he has saved us from the grips and the bondage of that slavery now instead of embracing my sin I struggle with it because God has set me free and given me the power to struggle as to indulge I still struggle every day with those things but the reality is is that God sets us free so that we can enjoy Him. So that we, that the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what He created us to be. But when we live for self, uh, when we indulge ourselves in sin, it definitely will destroy us. These people had focused on what was going on inside of them. Their lust, their sensual nature. And they were focusing on the things going on around them. God is bigger than your circumstances. Amen. Instead of focusing on your circumstances, how about focus on the one who is in control of them? Yes. You see how that works? So these people were looking at, oh my goodness, we don't have anything out here, and God has brought us out here to die. They had lost sight of the promise because instead of focusing on the promise, which is always true in God's Word, they focus on themselves and their circumstance, and then we can all learn from that. So, what does God do? Well, when I was a kid, I'm going to show my age here, but there was in the eight-track days, there was an old country song that said, "I don't like spiders and snakes, but that ain't what it takes to love me, you fool, you fool." Y'all remember that song when you were a kid? Well, snakes are a terrifying thing, and if you just ever stepped on one, it knows it's scary, and make it, they make our skin crawl. Right? When God put the enmity between Eve and the snake, He, he gave it to you. You've got that enmity you. We don't like snakes. My mom's got a little 410 in her house. She's like Granny Smith on the, the Beverly Hillbilly. Every time a snake's in our yard up in the country, she's out there shooting some, blowing its head off. I love she don't shoot her foot. But she hates snakes, and she goes out all the time to kills any of them. And it don't matter if it's a 4-inch grass snake or if it's a 3-foot timber rattler. She's going to kill it. She don't like snakes. And we don't like snakes either. And there's a reason for that. Because snakes, in our mind, we know, without a doubt, that snakes are dangerous. Yes, yes. They're dangerous. We don't like rats, right? We don't like mice. Well, deep down inside, there was something called the bubonic plague. One time we found out that because of the fleas on the, the, the mice, that they were spreading this, this plague around and wiped out a third of the population on the earth. And so deep down inside of us, when we're standing in the subway in New York and see a giant rat come running by, it makes our skin crawl. We don't like it. If one's in the house, you're not going to sleep good until the, somebody comes and gets it. Well, the reality is is that this snake, God sends these snakes... God is the one that judges his people and sends these snakes on the people and they start killing the people. God is a just God. He will not encourage foolishness, He will not encourage blasphemy. And when you blaspheme God, you answer for it. God is the one that sent this judgment on his people. We need to understand that God is a loving and gracious God. But God is also a just God. And so God sends these snakes down and they start biting the people and the people start dying. I want you to think about that. This curse is a snake that crawls in the sand. We think that these are desert adders or sawtooth adders is what they call them. The scientific name, I can't pronounce it. But the reality is that there are these little vipers, little two, three foot vipers in the desert that bury themselves in the sand. And when people come out, they bite them and they're very poisonous. We have four kinds of poisonous snakes here in the state of Georgia, right? Coral snakes, uh, rattlesnake, moccasins, and what's the other one? Copperhead. Uh, copperhead, right? We have copperheads, we have rattlesnakes, we have uh, moccasins, and we have coral snakes. Now, these different snakes we have, I'm not here to give you a giant zoology lesson, but uh the three of the poisonous snakes we have here in the state of Georgia are pit vipers. It means that they have fangs that come out and they inject they inject the fangs in you and then pump the poison into you. They're all hematoxic poisons. That means it affects your bloodstream. So when you get bit by a snake on your leg, your leg rocks off. The blood in your leg, you and it'll rot your leg off if you get bit by hematoxic poisonous snake. Uh, coral snake is different, and they're very rare. If you've ever seen one, you're actually very lucky. I've only seen one in my entire life. I know it was on south uh, of little Island. But they're little, tiny, beautiful little snakes, but they're neurotoxic, which means they affect your nervous system. They have poisons just like cobras. And if they bite you, it will shut your brain down, and your whole body will shut down, and you'll die. Yes. Well, these desert adders here are vipers. They inject their poison into you, but they crawl in the dust. I wanted you to know, do you hear an echo there? In Genesis 1, it said, Because you have deceived the woman, you will crawl on your belly in the dust all the days. Yes. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the serpent. He was talking to the devil. So serpents represent Satan. Serpents represent the devil. Also, the poison. And what would that represent? Sin in us yes. and there's not a single one of you in the room including me that have not been injected with the poison of the serpent what does it look like when a person gets bit by a rattlesnake their legs swell up really bad their leg will rot off or they don't, and a lot of times they'll die that's what it looks like yes. right? what does it look like when a person gets bit by a coral snake their brain shuts down they have a seizure and they stop breathing and they die their heart stops pumping and they die well, what does it look like when me and you are bitten by the serpent? When you and I have the poison of sin flowing through our veins. Anger, wrath, envy, jealousy, strife, heresy, seduction, carousing, and drunkenness. Right? Those are the works of the flesh. Y'all remember that and Paul talks about? It? When we have the poison of sin in us, we get angry. We get uh, anger, wrath, envious. We get envious of other people. Right? Drunkenness, carousing. And the word is what Paul said. And I remind you that people that live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes. So these people are in trouble. They are literally dying. They're, and not only that, but these serpents don't care if you're a cute, precious, innocent baby or a 95 year old elderly person. The serpent doesn't care. He has come to kill and to destroy. And he hates all of Adam's kids. It doesn't matter who you are. We are all affected by sin. From the baby in the womb to the oldest person that's alive right now today. We all have been affected. We all have that poison in us. Because we're Adam's kids, we have that poison within us. Paul says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have that poison in us. I want to read something for you really quickly. It says this. When a person's heart is dead set on rebellion towards God, even the best of gifts and blessings from Him will lose their savor. It is only the heart that trusts God alone that is able to enjoy the presence and the blessings of God. Our hearts are full of sin and we're rebellious towards God. And because of that, we can't enjoy the beauty of the things He gives us. You know, it's funny, but Oftentimes in our lives, it's until we get into some critical situation with tubes in our nose and doctors tell us we don't know what we can do for you, until we really begin to appreciate the breath of life. I'm sure most of you in this room, I have, and I'm sure that most of you have, have you ever had some bad news from a doctor and there just wasn't no answer? It's then that we begin to appreciate all of the gifts that God gives us. Amen. But we, just like the children of Israel, get up on the hours and our health is fine and our kids are fine and our finances are okay and the job's going good and life is grand. And we lose sight of the beauty and the blessings of what God has truly given us. How many of y'all have ever evacuated for a hurricane around here? It's kind of hard to decide what to take in it. Right? Only the important stuff. And the wife bringing the cured coffee maker. You know, that's important. <laughs> you need coffee. But the reality is, is that when trouble hits, many things stop mattering. And most of the things that we clutch through the hardest are the things that we need to let go of first. And so God has sent these snakes. They're destroying the people. And he said, they said, why have you brought us out here to die? We have no food. We have no water. And we hate this worthless food. Now I want to go back to that for a minute and I want you to think about what they're saying. God said he loathed that generation. He hated them for their actions and their unbelief and their rebellion. And it says that they loathed food. Now watch, because it's almost a tricky question. Watch what I said. We have no food, we have no water, and we hate this worthless food. Yes. <laughs> well, you just said you didn't have food. But what is the food he's talking about? Well, let's look at Psalm 78, 24, and 25. If he's got the passage, he'll put that up there for us. He rained down, this is a psalm, they're singing, this is the children of Israel are singing a song just like me and you sing Amazing Grace, and they're saying, He rained down now upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels, and he sent them food in abundance. Every morning they woke up and God had provided them the food that they needed. But what did they say? That's disgusting food. Yes. Right? Man in the morning, man in the evening, man in the dinner time, right? That's what they, they had it all the time. And they were sick of it because for 40 years that's all they ate. But it was what they needed to sustain their body. It wasn't what they wanted. It was what they needed. If any of you are like me and I have a problem getting my these old shirts in my butt now and my neck's getting a little thick It's because I want bluebell ice cream and I need to eat a fruit salad You see, I love sweets I want them Y'all tempted me the other night at Bible study with a bunch of cakes and brownies And I, I had just gotten a caramel cake for my birthday And I knew I didn't need to take those things because I ate no caramel cake in like three days You see, we love the things we want but what we should do is focus on the things that we need. And so look at this next passage. Remember the, the manna. And let's look what Jesus says about that, this manna. If you want to turn to your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 26 through 35. It says, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves that were filled. They're chasing after Jesus because he's giving them bread to fill their stomachs up. Remember when he turned the, the, the fish and the uh, bread and uh, yeah. the multitude? He said, You're not following me because you want to hear my words. You're following me because I'm filling your guts. Yes. Yes. All right? Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Don't work for the things that perish, work for the eternal food. And look what he said. Therefore, they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the words of God? Well, i got news for you. They're not God. God is the one that works the works of God. Look what he says next. Jesus answered to him, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Why are you a believer today? Because God worked in you. This is the work of God that you believe what you... And then he says, so they said to him, What did you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? Show us something and we'll believe you. I think the uh, message for last I reminded you all through the scriptures. One of the underlying things is seeing is not believing. Jesus did miracles before millions of people, Amen. and millions of people yelled, Crucify Him, crucify Him. Yes. It's not seeing that results in believing, it's believing that it results in seeing. And we're going to see that in a minute when we look at the serpent on the pole. All right, what's it say next? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven the next verse says jesus said to them truly truly i say to you it was not moses who gave you that bread out of heaven but it was my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven for the bread of god is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world then he said to them they said lord give us this bread we want this bread that gives us life and what did jesus say yeah. jesus said to them i am the bread of life yes. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes on me will not thirst. Now, why did I go through all of that long text? Because the reality is God had provided for them the things that they needed and they hated it. Yeah. It was not pleasing to their sensual nature. How many of you can sit down and watch a binge watch Netflix for twelve hours and have no problem with it, but then you try to pick up your Bible and read for 20 minutes and you fall asleep and drool on the page? Yeah. Our spirits don't want anything to do with the things of God because they are sensual. We want things that feel good and taste good and sound good. And what Jesus is saying is, it's the bread of life, the Word of God, that gives you life you need. And that is what you need to feed them. You see? So God has given them their promise. They rejected those promises. He sent these snakes into the camp. He sent these fiery serpents. Now, a lot of people think they were glowing like on fire the reality is the reason they call them fiery serpents is because when they bit the people, when the poison got into their bodies, it made them feel like they were on fire. Yes. Right. And it says, these fiery serpents, snakes in the dust, many died. Now what's funny is, in Egypt, where they had come from, a snake represented life. Yes. I often have people ask me, is this story about the serpent on the pole, is that where we get the medical caduceus? Y'all know what a caduceus is? Yeah. It's like a little symbol doctors wear when the serpent come up and look at each other. Well, no. Actually, that would probably come from Egypt or Greek mythology, not from the Bible. But in Egypt, the snake was a symbol of life and fertility. And people would put snakes on their front step to keep snakes away. And it felt like it was a lucky charm. You see? But that was in Egypt. Snakes are bad. We're not supposed to embrace them and look look to them for life. They're a symbol of sin and Satan. And so often in our lives, when we're in the bondage of sin, when we're still in Egypt, it's the very things that are killing us that we embrace and seek. But God has set us free not to live like that anymore. And we're to keep our eyes on Him and to keep our eyes on the coming promise. So, uh, the fiery serpents. Now, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. important. what do they call when you come to Moses and say, We have sinned? What have they just done? They confessed. They confess. He who is, says he is without sin is a liar. Yes. But God is faithful and just, and if we will confess our or God, is, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it take to be forgiven for my sins? To come to God and say, "We have sinned. Not we. I. I have sinned." I've lied to you, God, I've blasting you, I've taken advantage of all the wonderful things that you've placed in my life. I've abused my body, I've abused my family and my friends, and I am a sinner. We don't like to say that, but it's the truth. Yes. And these people, now that they've been bitten by a serpent and are dying, their kids are dying in front of them, right? I bet you every parent and grandparent in this room today would be willing to admit to you that your kids and your grandkids are out in the world right now dying in sin. This world is not a a polite place. And it hates us. And it will do anything it can to destroy us. If you... I worked for eight years in drug and alcohol rehab and I can tell you that the majority of people in this culture, in this world, and your neighbors and your friends around you are dying. Yes. They're struggling in sin itself. And, and the only thing that will set them free is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promise of that of gospel. Yes. That's what sets us free. And so these people are dying. They come to Moses They they say, We have sinned pray to Yahweh to remove the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. So what do they do? They give Moses a prayer request. Now first of all, you and I, Moses will not help to be our intercessor. All Moses can do is tell you what you were doing wrong. Yes. Our intercessor is Jesus Christ. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, I love you very much and I will definitely pray for you if you ask me to, but I am not your intercessor. A man in a black robe is not your intercessor. We have a high priest in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that is where we carry our confession to. And he is the one that forgives us of our sins. Yes. He is the one that intercedes with us between him and the Father. He is our go-between. He is our intercessor. And he is who we go to. So, the people came. They said, we have sinned. And they make a prayer request, right? We do prayer requests all the time. Listen to prayer requests. Is this a legitimate prayer request? Oh God, get rid of the snakes. <laughs> That's what they asked him to do? Yes, that is definitely a legitimate prayer request. If any of you in this room have ever had some kind of terrible medical diagnosis, it is prim and proper and the natural thing to do to pray and say, Oh God, fix this. Yes. Amen. Get rid of the snakes. But I want you to watch what happens. Moses prayed for the people. And Yahweh said, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it will be that everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. Moses was obedient as God had commanded. And, and those who were bitten and looked, they lived. To confront the serpent is to confront one's sin and their result. So what happens? They pray and say, oh God, get the snakes away. But I want you to watch. God doesn't answer their prayer the way they think they need the prayer answered. Did you know Paul prayed three times in his life that God would take a thorn in his side away from him? Yes. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Yes. My strength is displayed in your weakness. Yes. Well, what does that mean? It means that God gave Paul something that kept him humble. Amen. So that he would continue to rely on God instead of himself. And his years of education as a Pharisee. Yes. And sometimes God doesn't take away our sickness. Sometimes God allows our children who are praying for to stumble and fall. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen. In this situation, we see that God is actually the one that calls the snakes to come into the cabin. So when they pray, say, oh, God, get the snakes away. God does not answer the prayer the way they think they needed an answer. He answers it the way they need an answer. Because watch. They're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, yes. and if God just takes away the snakes, then for the next 40 years, every time they step on a stick when they leave the camp to go out and away you know, from the camp to relieve themselves at night, and they step on a stick and it hits them in the leg, they're going to think a oh, snake guy. They're going to continue to live in fear of the snakes. So God didn't take the snakes away. He did one better. He gave them a cure for a snake bite. Yeah. What that means is, for the rest of their life, they don't have to be afraid of the snake or the poison. Yes. Because he said, I want you to make a serpent. And I want you to set it on a pole. And anyone who gets bit, all they have to do is, what is our message? Look, and they will live. You see, God gave them a promise. He said, you are dying and I am the source of eternal life. If you will simply believe me and look, you will live. He didn't say, I want you to go and bow down before the serpent on the pole and pray to it. He didn't say, I want you to go up and do a dance around the pole and praise the pole. He didn't say, I want you to put a serpent on a chain on your necklace and wear it around the charm to keep you from getting by snakes. He said, look. And you live. Yes. Here is my promise to you, and if you believe me, you will act. Yes. You get bit, say, Oh, I got bit by one of those serpents, and your friend says, Hey, look at the serpent on the pole. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would I don't want to look at a piece of brass on a pole? That ain't helping me. I'm going to the doctor. And you're going to drop dead right there in the wilderness. Yes, because that is not the solution that God gave them. He said, Trust me. I am giving you my promise that if you will look, you will live. Amen. Yes. And what is what is uh, His command to you and I? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Yes. Amen. It's very simple. God sent His Son. He died on a cross. He poured out His blood on that cross to purchase a people for Himself. And all of those who believe on Him will not perish. What does it mean to believe on Him to look and to live? What do I mean by that? We're going to wrap this up. Who knows what the most famous verse in all of the Bible is? John three sixteen. that right? You, would it be putting you on the spot to quote it? Can you quote it? That whosoever. Believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's one of the it's probably the most famous. If you want to go home today this afternoon and watch the Falcons game, there's going to be somebody in the ends on a sign that says John 3.16, right? It's a really famous verse in the Bible. Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I'm going to I'm going to make a deal with you. That's John 3.16. If you can tell me without looking what John 3.14 says, I'll give you all the money in my wallet. Now granted, I don't have any money in my pocket. But, can you tell me what John 3.14 says? Let's turn there and look. This story of John 3 is the story of Jesus and his conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Jew. Nicodemus is a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Nicodemus was of the Sanhedrin, the top 70 religious guys in all of Israel. What that means is he would have had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He would have memorized the Pentateuch. Now, if you don't think that's possible, I can promise you that there are Muslims all over this world today who have memorized the entire Quran. Is possible. So this guy knew the Old Testament. He knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Jesus is talking to him about being born again. Jesus is talking to him about being born again. And in that discussion with this Jewish man, what does he say to Nicodemus? And even so, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, yes. even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, the children in Israel out there in that middle of that wilderness, even though Christ did not come into flesh yet, were saved by believing on Christ. Yeah. And God gave them a picture of what He was going to look like when He came. you say, wait a minute now, Jesus is not a snake. No, He's not. But Paul reminds us that He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we might know the righteousness Of God yes. I'm a sinner I realize that So what do I do I stop looking within for answers and I stop looking around for answers And I look to the one who is the answer And what happens when I look to Christ I get on that cross What does he do Not only does he take my death away But he gives me his life You see, the gospel has been proclaimed ever since the very beginning. Even in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, November, Deuteronomy, Christ is there screaming, Hey, I'm here. Believe me. And you will not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to share with you one more passage of Scripture, and then I promise, I'm a Baptist preacher, and we did say this a lot, but we're going to wrap this up. Look with me in the book of Hebrews. I want to tie all of this together. Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remaining of entering his rest, any of you seem to come short of it. What's he saying? If you're in this room today and you have not trusted in Christ, if you are not resting in Christ alone for your salvation, then turn from yourself, turn from your circumstances, and turn to Christ. There's a rest and it's offered to all who will believe. But we must turn from sin itself self and turn to Him. For indeed we have good news preached to us, Just as they also see, they had the gospel preached to them, it was in baby talk, but it was the gospel nonetheless. They had good news preachers, just as they did also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those that heard. Salvation comes by faith, faith comes by hearing the word of God. When you hear the word, you receive the word, and by receiving the word, you believe the word. And if you truly believe, what will you do? You will recognize you are a sinner, and you will look to Christ to take your sin away and give you his righteousness. Yes. He says this For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, As I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Does that sound familiar? That's Psalm 95. The writer of Hebrews is quoting that old psalm and saying, Hey guys, we have a rest in Christ. Don't make the same mistake that the children of Israel did. He gave them a rest and instead of trusting in him, they trusted in himself. Turn away from yourself and trust in his rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. The Sabbath, that word, the Sabbath day, Sabbath means rest. And the day that we pick to choose to worship God is the Lord's day, it's the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath has always been around the word. Sabbath means rest. It means to trust in Him alone, to rest in Him, not in your works, not in your abilities, not in who you are, but to rest in Him. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, God had a plan from the foundation of the world that there was a rest for His people. And all we have to do to enter that rest is look to Christ and live. Yes, amen. Last thing you yeah. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. There are those who refuse to trust Him. My heart's desire is that for every one of you in this room that you will trust Him. Yeah. That you know Him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you do gone, please stop hard in your heart and turn away from yourself and turn to Christ. He will forgive you and save you. He has never rejected anyone who turns to Him. Therefore, since there remains for some to enter, and those who formerly had the good news preached to them, they failed to enter because of their disobedience. He again fixes a certain day and said today, saying David, through after so long a time, just as they've been said before, today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. And listen, ladies, gentlemen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we, even as children of God, have a quick tendency to harden our hearts to His blessing and His love. Let's go to Him today. Let's turn away from ourselves. Let's turn away from our circumstances. And let's turn to His cross and let's look at this. Amen? Father, thank You for this time that You've given us together today. Thank You for this chance to study Your Word and Your truth. Thank You thank you for the opportunity to proclaim the beauty of your gospel that you came and died on a cross and took the death we deserve so that we can have a life that we can never earn my prayer is for all of those in this room who are truly your children that have truly trusted you that you will encourage their hearts today and help them to enjoy the rest and the blessing that we have in your son yes. i also pray if there be a man or woman here today who has never trusted you as lord and savior lord if it be your will May you open their hearts to receive you and the believing. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.